Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today's guest is Harvard economist Dr. Raj Chetty, whose groundbreaking research on how your kindergarten classroom can greatly affect your earnings potential was recently featured in the New York Times. Dr. Chetty, welcome to the EdCast. Thank you. I guess as an economist, Dr. Chetty, you've written on a Danish tax record, the effects of housing on portfolio choice, and countercyclical policies and economic stability. Why are you now studying the effects of kindergarten? So uh, I'm broadly interested in how we can improve economic policy to improve social welfare, increase economic growth, and improve the well-being of the population. I've always been interested in, in the idea that some of the most important interventions we can do are at a very early childhood stage. So in the past, I've worked on tax policy and how we might be able to help lower-income people uh, increase their incomes. My, my recent thinking and interest has been that maybe a much more effective place to target interventions is at um, early childhood in school itself. And so that's what attracted me to working in this area. Okay, and I, and I guess where did you start to look when you wanted to sort of focus on kindergarten? So uh, there's an extensive literature, as uh, people know, on how ec education affects achievement as measured by test scores. So there are numerous papers uh, showing that better teachers or smaller classes or better schools in various ways improve student achievement as measured by standardized tests. But an important gap in that literature is how all those interventions affect ultimate adult outcomes that we care about, like how much kids earn, whether they go to college or not, their family formation, do they get married, do they have kids, uh, what's their well-being, like all of these long-term impacts. And so from studying the literature and talking to colleagues, I knew that this was an important gap in the literature and would be very important uh, for understanding what types of education policies would be valuable. Okay, so tell me a little bit about what Project STAR was. So we decided to focus on Project STAR, which is one of the most exciting and widely studied education experiments ever. Project STAR was conducted in the mid-1980s in Tennessee, where Governor Lamar Alexander allocated $12 million to run a really impressive randomized experiment where kids were randomly assigned to different classrooms within their school. This was conducted at 79 different schools in Tennessee. And the key feature of Project STAR which is what interested us as researchers, is that it had this randomized experiment uh, component, right? That we don't want to just compare kids in better classes and worse classes or kids who have better teachers and worse teachers because there might be lots of differences across those kids. So for instance, kids with better parent background, better family background, might be able to afford to go to better schools. And then just comparing those different types of kids is not going to give you a good sense of the causal effect of being in a better class. So this is why we focused on Project STAR, which involved 12,000 students randomly assigned to different classes. And there have been about 100, 150 papers written on Project STAR in the past. All of these focus mainly on student achievement as measured by test scores. We wanted to look at long-run outcomes, and this is the first study to do that. Can you explain a little bit what the fade-out effect is? Right. So the earlier literature, one of the very important findings is that you see these significant test score gains in the early years when you're in a better kindergarten class. But those effects fade out in the sense that when you look at a kid who was in a better class in kindergarten, he's doing, say, uh, you know, 5% better on his test in kindergarten, but then that becomes 3% better in third grade, just 1% better in seventh grade, and then the effects totally disappear. So this is really important in understanding education policy because if you just stop there, a common view is that, sure, teachers might matter in the short run and classes might matter in the short run, but these effects all disappear in the long run, so why do we really care? Maybe we should not be investing in 
these types of interventions. When you went and did your research, what what were, what was the findings that you presented? So we the the focus of our research was to look at kids in Project Star. In 1985, they were in kindergarten. We looked at them around 2008 when they were about 28 years old. And we asked, well, if you were in a better kindergarten classroom, just by pure chance, remember the kids were randomized, um, were you doing better at age 28? Were you earning more? Were you more likely to have gone to college? Were you more likely to own a house? Were you more likely to save for retirement? All of these different dimensions. Uh, and initially, you know, what we were anticipating based on the fade out result that I just talked about is that maybe you wouldn't see very much, right? Because all of these effects you would think based on the prior literature would have faded out. But what we were really surprised to find is that the effects actually seem to reemerge in adulthood. That is, the kids who were in better kindergarten classes are doing better at age 28, even though they weren't doing better as measured by standardized tests in middle school and high school. Now, how much better were they doing in terms of salary? So uh, there are various ways you can measure this. Our uh, basic calculation is that if you take the average child in our sample who is earning about $15,000 a year at age 28, if they were in an extremely good class rather than an average class, they were earning on average, say, $1,500 more per year, which translates into something like a 10% increase in income, uh, you know, a very substantial increase in lifetime income. Now, I guess this all relates now to the quality of the kindergarten classroom and uh, the quality of the teacher. Uh, what was the title of the New York Times article? So the title of the New York Times article that featured our research was The Case for the $320,000 Kindergarten Teacher. Where do you get that number? And so how do we come up with $320,000? Well, here's the calculation. So we calculate that if you go from an average teacher that is at the median, the 50th percentile, to an extremely good teacher that's one of the very best teachers you could have, uh, each child's income would increase by $1,000 a year. If you take, add that up over the course of a child's, the child's life, that's worth about $16,000 once you adjust for inflation and discounting. So $16,000 per kid. There are on average 20 kids in each class. 16 times 20 gives you 320,000 per kindergarten teacher. The way you should interpret that number is that's the value of going from an average kindergarten teacher to an extremely good kindergarten teacher in terms of the increased earnings potential of the students. Wow. So, so I guess the next question is, what is, what is this research, this, this emerging figure about kindergarten value, uh, what does it mean towards the teaching profession and the value of maybe something like merit pay? So th I think it's important to separate out the policy implications here carefully. So what we focus on in the study is the idea that good teachers have an incredible value for society. Um, you know, it, it increases future earnings by a lot. It also increases many other things, presumably, like it could reduce crime, could in increase home ownership and things like that, uh, improve health. Now, whether the, the question then becomes how do you get good teachers and how do you get teachers to teach better? Whether merit pay achieves that, you know, maybe that's possible. Some people argue that it would. Some people argue that it wouldn't. This study doesn't necessarily, just because we have this figure of 320,000, doesn't necessarily mean that by paying teachers 300,000, we're going to get better teachers who generate that much value, right? There's a difference between those two statements. And so, sure, merit pay is one possibility. Another possibility is trying to screen teachers better. So before giving teachers tenure, you might try to sort of select out just the best ones and try to retain those. Another possibility is to try to train teachers better. Um, or, or not, yet another possibility is to try to find characteristics of good teachers, like maybe it's teachers who have certain types of degrees or teachers with certain sorts of backgrounds and focus on hiring those teachers. 
All of these things are potential candidates. The main implication of the study is that we should be thinking really hard about how to improve teacher quality in early childhood education, and that that's going to have tremendous long-term impacts on society. I guess after all your time working on, on this research project and studying through Project STAR, what are some of the qualities that you would attribute to a high-quality, great right. kindergarten class? So we, our study is limited by the fact that we can only observe relatively few characteristics of the kindergarten class itself. So let me focus on two characteristics that we do find have a significant effect. So the first is class size. We find that kids who were in smaller classes, on average, say 16, 17 kids versus 20 to, uh, 23 to 25 kids, uh, tend to do better in the long run. So class size seems to matter. The second finding on teacher attributes is that teacher experience matters. So teachers, kids who randomly were assigned to a teacher who was very experienced end up earning more when they're 28 than kids who were randomly assigned to a less experienced teacher. Now, that's not to say that these are the only two factors that matter. There could be many other things that matter as well. We just can't measure them in the data that we currently have. And in future work, we're trying to explore what some of these other characteristics that matter might be. Where do you see standardized tests fitting into all of this? As some of the research essentially implies that maybe better schools, better schooling as a child does not necessarily mean better test scores. Right, uh, and that's a finding that's consistent with our own study where we see that better schooling as a child has better long-run outcomes but doesn't seem to improve your test scores in middle school and high school. We think that standardized tests are probably still a very useful tool for assessing how teachers are doing because we do find that test scores at the time the teacher is teaching, like kindergarten tests, the Stanford Achievement Test, which is a commonly used test in education for, for kids, um, does actually correlate very strongly with improvements in adult outcomes. So we think that there's a lot of information in standardized tests given at the time that the teacher is teaching. But later on, it's not clear how much they pick up. Now, what was the reaction of the community when you presented at the National Bureau of Economic Research? So there, there were about 300 people in the audience, and people were very uh, excited by the findings. They were quite surprised, I think, because of the fade-out effect that everybody's well aware of. Uh, and I think just the idea of following uh, kids over a 25-year period and analyzing the effects of an experiment over a 25-year horizon. It's one of the first times that's been done in economics, uh, generated a lot of excitement and a lot of interest in other things that one might be able to do along these lines. And was there any pushback since the article ran in the New York Times? I think if um, anything, there was a little bit of pushback on our emphasis on the benefits of having better teachers, mainly because we don't know how to get those better teachers. So. Everybody agrees that teachers are really important, but the pushback we got is, well, you emphasize that getting better teachers would be great, but we don't really know as educators how to do that. And so until we know how to do that, it's not quite clear what value this particular figure has. What would you say to someone who said it, it's less about the teachers and more about the family in terms of yeah. overall adult outcomes? So th there's definite, what we're saying in the study is that teachers matter. We're not saying that other things don't matter. So one way to think about it is, Teachers improve average earnings quite a bit by our estimates, but there's a tremendous amount of variation around that mean. So there are lots of kids who have teachers that are not so good who end up doing extremely well. And what are some of the other factors that might be affecting those kids? Most obviously it's parents, it's family background. Other studies have shown that parental background matters a great deal for how kids do and our results are perfectly consistent with that. Okay, Dr. Chetty, at age 23, you were assistant professor of economics at Berkeley. At age 27, you were associate professor. You won the 2008 Young Economist Award, which came with a $100,000 research grant. 
You were valedictorian of your high school and graduated from Harvard College summa cum laude in three years. My question is this, where did you go to kindergarten? <laughs> I actually went to kindergarten in India, and uh, I think I had a pretty good kindergarten class, at least judging from how things have gone. And uh, in India, actually, it's an interesting comparison. Uh, early childhood education is actually quite different in India, and I think that may have had an impact on, on my life in the sense that it's much more focused on teaching content. And so I came to the US when I was in fourth grade, and I actually was quite surprised when I you know, was acclimating to the US and getting used to school here that uh, people seem to learn things at a very different pace in the US in early childhood uh, than in India, where you sort of are ahead in terms of what you've learned up to, up to that point. Um, although what I found is in the US, there's much more of an emphasis on critical thinking rather than just memorizing a lot of stuff. And so for me, I actually felt that that was a nice combination. Early on in India, I memorized a lot of things in math and things like that. But then after coming to the US, much more of an emphasis on how do you think about this problem and things like that. So it seems to have served me well. Do you still remember your kindergarten teacher's name? I actually don't. Uh, and I was thinking about that recently. But uh, Now, a little bit about the family now, too. Economics does run in your family. Your, your father was an economic advisor to Prime Minister Gandhi in India in the eight, in 1980s. Yes. Uh, how important was education within your family growing up? So I often tell people that I was the last person in my family to publish a paper. So everybody in my family is an academic. My dad's a PhD economist. My mom does research on uh, lung injury. She's a pulmonologist. And my sisters are molecular biologists and a uh, gastroenterologist working on diabetes. So, so I was trying to... You're the black sheep. That's right. I'm the black sheep, and I was trying to catch up with uh, everyone else. So definitely a great emphasis on education in our family, and I'm sure that's had a huge impact. Okay. Any new research that you're working on currently uh, related to maybe uh, the field of education? Yeah. Um, so as I was mentioning before, what one of the things we're most interested in is now digging deeper and finding out what the characteristics are of the teachers who are really successful. And so we're trying to get a data set where we can observe the same teacher teaching multiple classes across many years. And if you see a teacher consistently doing well, then you know that that teacher is probably adding a lot of value. Uh, and so we then want to link that to more information about the teachers themselves. What types of backgrounds did they have? What type of training did they get? What types of teaching methods did they use? And try to see if we can get a much clearer picture of what teachers are really effective in Im improving adult outcomes, the thing that I think we ultimately care about. Yeah, well, it's been fantastic. Dr. Chetty, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you and having you on the show. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Chetty. Thank you. And uh, my name is Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.